Kane is in the building. Welcome to Beers and Best Slips. Levi, what's going on? What am I? We are on the Christmas Eve edition of the NBA Finals tomorrow. Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors. I think we both got the Warriors winning. Hopefully the Warriors win. Other than that, what's your thoughts? Jimmy Butler's back. He's coming back. I think next year is going to be an awesome year for them. It really sucks for him, for him to play all 48 minutes of that game and they lose. Gave it his all. Why is everybody talking shit about him for shooting that three, though? Like, I would want him to sh- take that. 100%. The best quote I've heard is, he hits it, he's a hero. He misses it, he's the villain. Yeah. He hits it, he's a one of the talked about in the Miami. I would took it, too. Every, I think every player would have took it. He had space. Yeah. Like, he was mean, a good shot. He had a good look. You can say Al Horford was back holding, and he had a good shot to take it to the hole just to do it, but I still, you take the lead. You take it. It's one of the gambles. It's part of the sport. That's what I love about it. So as far as excitement on beers and best slips, got some big news, Levon. We hit a million dollars. No, I wish. We wouldn't be here. We'd definitely be doing it from a strip club somewhere in Indianapolis if we had a million dollars. But we have our first guest in the Haunted Elvis room yes, sir. today. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you excited? I am. So our guest is a friend of mine, good buddy, and hilarious human. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready, brother. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, just happy to be here. You know, you guys are right now the only two friends I have in life. (laughs) And I'm locked in with Elvis, man. I'm checking him out. (laughs) So a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see. I'm uh, an old guy now, but uh, I've been on auto racing all my life. Been around it since I was six years old. And uh, been blessed to do all that and work on several IndyCar teams. More than I can even remember. I actually uh, had to buy yearbooks over the years. Had my parents give those to me as uh, Christmas gifts. So when I was old and crunchy, that I can uh, check myself out in there and uh, remember, hopefully, where I where I worked over all those years. The good old days. Absolutely. So when did you start loving auto racing and the Indy 500? Well, I I was. Uh, in Chicago, outside the suburb Downers Grove in uh, Chicago, until I was six, and that's when we moved here in 1966. So, I went from Harry Carey to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and uh, actually, to be quite truthful, my dad he could really care less about auto racing, but he was an avid golfer, and they've got uh, 18 holes out at the speedway, four in the infield and 14 on the outside, and uh, he'd take me out of school, wouldn't tell my mother. And leave me in the stands, and honestly, I was scared to death to go to jail that a cop would come. Hey, there's a kid up there. He's supposed to be in school. And and so he'd go play golf and come back, and I looked like I had road rash from sunburn being a redhead. And <laughs> the next day, my mom with her big old bouffant would take me out there and uh, wouldn't tell my dad. And uh, I'd burn more. It was a lot of dental uh, appointments I had during May. And I'd burn up, and they never talked to each other about it, and I never said one word because I just wanted to be at the speedway really bad. So that's how all that happened. So it was just inflicted on me. And they used to bring the cars home and work on the cars in the driveway. Kid, you want to sit in the car? I sure do. And the rest is history. That's awesome. So you're also a museum guide. 
I am. I am. For it's the museum uh, at the Speedway. Yeah, one of the biggest days out there is the Future Farmers of America, and uh, I always said that every kid in America should be forced to work on a farm. And so polite, some really big boys and girls, and uh, but they're very polite and uh, well spoken, and. Uh, but there's people, and not to be a smarty pants about anything, because when it comes to it, it's not about me. It's about creating new fans and uh, the fans out there. That when they're when I'm done, they go, "That's the best tour I've ever had anywhere I've ever gone," because you explain so much more than anyone would. And uh, I never really, you know, talk about me. It's it's about what happens and what to expect. And you really need to come back because there's nothing on it like in, in the like it on earth a big part of that is your, that's your personality you're like me you're an outgoing personality like you can put on a show just giving a museum tour well one thing you, i learned in life you have to be one step ahead of someone that thinks that they're going to embarrass you and uh you know when they call you a certain name it's like thank you very much sir that's the nicest thing i've been called today then they don't know what to say mm -hmm. so uh yeah it's uh you just gotta uh forge your own uh, path and uh, when you're talking to people how many different teams have you been on working uh, at the speedway a wild guess maybe 40 that's just a wild guess how many championships uh now winning the 500 three times i've been on uh, cars that have set the track record out there for qualifying but i've been blessed to uh be on three winning teams uh i've been at times in the past uh, leading the race, Robbie Gordon, back in 1999 with the lap and a quarter to go and ran out of fuel and learned some new words and uh, and uh, new curse words, that is, and uh, worked on the team 2.7 seconds behind 6.3. Matter of fact, this, just this past Sunday, we finished 6.6 .6 seconds behind the winner. So I've lost a lot. I'm still a loser. I went home to my kids and said, I'm a loser again. <laughs> Speaking of winning, what what is the most satisfying win that you've had at the Speedway? Uh, I think all three of them. I mean, just just to win. Uh, the most satisfying day that I, I tell people I ever had, when I worked with Scotty Brayton in 1993 in that race with several Formula One IndyCar winners. And uh, we finished 6.2 seconds behind the winner and went all 500 miles and Back then, it was very hard to go all 500 miles till they started making sewing machines that don't blow up. And uh, But when we finished, I hugged Scotty Brayton and go, man, thanks, you make my dreams come true. Just being here alone on a race team, I've been blessed. But uh, to go all 500 miles, that was the coolest thing right there. And you were on the team that won the 100th running, correct? One, that's correct. I, uh, I was... Uh, uh, tire assist on uh, four of the five cars and uh, that was pretty special because uh, the crowd was amazing uh, they sold out of tickets and uh, closed that off and I actually I was in, involved with the fan council also to help create people to buy those uh, seats and uh, help sell the place and uh, so not only all the work I did, but it all paid off by winning the race, which was a very, very nice day. That's awesome. I can't imagine for if the 100th running, free to win that, and the way that race was, it's the biggest race ever. 
it's the most exciting race I've ever watched because it's it's huge, you know. Absolutely. But as far as the racing at IMS, what do you think NASCAR needs to do to make it a better, more competitive race? What I always said is uh, they need to put it on the road course because if you go to road courses, uh, it's exciting. But the thing is. The, when the NASCAR came here, the track is just way too smooth for those cars. And so uh, what I always said there is like, well, w their top speed, I was 12 years old when the Indy cars were going, what the, the cup cars are. And, of course, they're, you know, twice the weight. And But I always said in cup racing, if you really wanted to make it exciting and put the, put the uh, driver back behind the seat uh, and cut the width of the tires so they got to actually get out of the throttle and uh, drive the car through the corner because if you cut the width, you you have less traction on the ground and it's like uh, you're going to make it more exciting because you're going to have to figure out how to keep those tires in, in good shape to finish the race. And that's, you know, you burn them up, you're going to create more pit stops. So that one guy's not going to be the leader all the time because he's going to eventually have to come in and change those tires. So that's just my idea. As I always said, cut the width on the Indy car. They're flat bottom. It blew me away this year. Uh, some of the guys qualifying, I mean, they're traveling more than a football field per second, and you can't even oh think. Gosh. And then in the apex at turn one, those guys, some of those guys are running 240 miles an hour basically on a flat track. And uh, I always said, you want to see some excitement, go get yourself a track dog and a Coke and sit up in turn one, which is stand E, and watch those guys travel more than the football sec uh, football field a second because that's nuts. Especially when Connor was getting into it. Absolutely. That yeah. day, like, he was cooking. Yeah, you know, that's one thing they brought up that uh, since they've uh, t uh, taken uh, the information that he was running 243 down the back stretch, well, 28 years ago, we were actually running 252 going into turn uh, three. We had 1,200-plus horsepower, and... Uh, so, I mean, the cars were running uh, 252 on the straightaway, and I remember before it was cut off by another car, uh, Emerson Fittipaldi was running 247 going into one in 1994. So they made a big, I don't know why, they made it a big deal about it. Since we've been recording time, that was the fastest ever. And it's like, no, it wasn't. So, <laughs> and uh, But an Indy car, you know, if you cut the, took away the um, aerodynamics underneath the car, the upside-down uh a wing that sucks them to the ground and made it flat bottom again, the drivers would be out of the throttle and actually driving it through the corners. As far as, last thing about NASCAR, as far as like the dirt track racing, I love dirt track racing. Absolutely love it. I don't think the NASCAR package that they have right now is built to be on dirt. Right, they're, they're they sleds. They ran it and like, it, it's a mudslide. Right, they're, they're sleds. And, uh, you know, maybe if they had more horsepower, uh, maybe that would be the trick. Um, uh, it's just there's a lot of things that uh, they would really need to look at. But uh, uh, just, yeah, it's just they don't have, have enough horsepower in those cars to really make it exciting. And you look at Jeff Gordon, a lot of people that uh, I remember meeting Jeff through a buddy of mine trying to get an IndyCar ride, and uh, it didn't happen, but... He was 13 years old, driving a, a dirt car with 900 horsepower, and he said he was scared to death. And I don't blame him. I mean, anyone would be, I think, scared to death with 900 horsepower being 13 years old. But you, when uh, all these guys like Tony Stewart went to uh, Cup, 
I mean, that would be like us going and doing a rent racer because they're sleds. You've got uh, uh, 400 less horsepower than uh, you're, you're driving a cup car, so that's all slow motion to those boys sliding those rear ends with the front engine cars. But I could go all into a whole new story about that too, about USAC and, and stuff like that, but that's all for another day probably. Have you driven a race car? I drove Formula Fords up in Canada, but uh, I found out it was like $1,500 a weekend, and that was many years ago and 40-something years ago. And, uh, I found out real quick that, you know, if you don't have the money, uh, you're not going anywhere, and that's basically the way it is right now. If uh, no crew, you're through. Yeah. Do you have questions? Did you write down any questions? You told me two hours ago we yeah, had so a guest. keep going. I, I knew two hours ago when I started writing questions. <laughs> Some of us have an actual job and have to do something. That's true. I don't do very much. I sit there and play on the phone. <laughs> so as far as what made me start thinking about, I was like, damn, I got to get Scott on the show, is over the summer I see the picture of you tagged, and I was like, damn, I, I know Scott, but where is he? You were at Tony's wedding in the pool in that picture. I can't remember. I was been drinking since then, baby. Uh, Tony Stewart's. Yeah, I've yeah. been drinking. I can't remember anything. Where was that? California. Uh, I can't remember that either. I'm still drunk, but uh, <laughs> that must have been somebody else. Bleeds <laughs> <laughs> the fifth on it. But I tell you one thing, though. I know that his father was happy that he uh, married a racer, and uh, they get along real well because they can relate to each other. And rumor has it that. Uh, I'm being told that he might be the one stepping into that car eventually. So that might be breaking news for the show. Yes, that's uh, that's uh, kind of a rumor, but I, I gotta leave it at that because it, I can't it, tell the whole rumors, story. It's just rumors, though, right? That's that is true, but I gotta leave it at that because I asked him last year. He tested in a top fueler. And he went through Frank Hawley's deal. It's a driving school. But then he uh, a couple times uh, ran some passes last year and. Uh, I believe it was this year, too, he ran some passes down in Texas. But, uh, I mean, he had uh, speeds at 322 miles an hour. And so uh, I just think there's something more to it. I mean, why do you get behind the wheel unless you are going to end up being behind the wheel? And it's your team. Why not? So, uh, you know, get that top fuel license, baby, and come out here to the U.S. Nationals and sell a couple tickets at, at Indianapolis Raceway Park slash Lucas Oil. That would be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would bring people in. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. A lot of people. I remember when Johnny Andretti drove for the baseball player Jack Clark in his Taco Bell special, and he missed the U.S. Nationals, I think, by a thousandth of a second. But that was very popular, having Jack Clark. Uh, it was his dragster and... Uh, and uh, his uh, some of the money, but uh, it was it was pretty interesting when he was out here. How did you get to the position you are now? Like, how did you get onto a team? Where uh, did you start? Well, living in the neighborhood, I did. Uh, the guys, the old guys, would snake me through bear alignment when they had the old garages at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the horse barn garages. Um, they had side gates, the fence would slide, same way behind Vaveline. And so uh, they would slide me through there. And, you know, it, back then when you were a kid, you looked like you're two years old anyway. 
we didn't have steroids and everything that made us grow back then, but uh, <laughs> no facial hair, but they'd take me into the garage, hey, kid, clean this, hey, kid, wax that, and at the end of the day, they'd walk me back out of that gate. Or during testing, one of the drivers or officials in the neighborhood would take me out to the speedway and let me hang out, and uh, there was times like uh, people go, you know what you're doing? Sure I do. Hell, I had no clue, but I watched the crew chief, and that's how I learned because the crew chief back in the day was bigger than the driver. You saw the name on the side of the car, whoever chief mechanic was, they were in big, bold letters, and the driver was uh, skinny, uh, his, his name, and if he got killed, they'd go over there and put masking tape over it and put over Joe Smith or whatever uh, over that, and it's like pretty harsh, but they would do things like that. But that's how all that began, and uh, I actually, when I was uh, 15 years old, I worked on a dirt car team with uh, Don Shepard, and Don, his brother A.J. Shepard, drove in the Indy in the early 60s, and and uh, they were famous in the dirt car business. And Don uh, had Johnny Rutherford, Bobby Unser, uh, and uh, he had a lot of the older drivers when they were young. And uh, I was lucky enough that my sister actually dated his brother, so I went to the tracks, and I was there dirt boy, cleaning up the cars at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, whatever I could do, fuel the car, help change tires, and and so that was kind of like a helper. and, and your feet wet. Yeah, yeah, and then, the, but the biggest thing was, and uh, yeah, I was a scared kid to go up and ask, but I learned real quick, if you wanted the job, the chief mechanic was the guy to ask, so uh, I bugged the hell out of them, and in my young years at UPS, I actually delivered to uh, Gasoline Alley, Rowena, and so all the guys knew me. They knew I busted my ass being a UPS man. So they uh, they would offer me jobs. Actually, not to be smart about this, but uh, they're like, man, will you work for us? We'd love to have you. And it was pretty cool because they would come out, come out on my delivery route and ask me to work for them because uh, they knew I was a go-getter and they knew what the Speedway meant to me. And so uh, that, was, uh, that was pretty cool to... Uh, have people actually fighting over you to actually help them out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now it's just a snowball effect. I mean, where I'm at right now was uh, people I worked with in the past, and, hey, we got a guy that uh, would work out well with you. And so uh, the rest is basically where I'm at. So it, it, it was, it's been a great journey. I know you love where you're at, but you, you would do anything to promote and help and gain interest in the speedway indycar all that wouldn't you oh absolutely i mean when i was a kid mr homan when he took over the speedway in 1945 after world war ii um he had wilbur shaw uh, wilbur shaw was a three-time indy winner the second three-time indy 500 winner and uh wilbur actually went to businessmen and and people and tried to save the speedway because it was going to be a, basically a housing division after world war ii and uh, he got uh, Tony Holman to buy the place. When he bought it, he threw the keys to Wilbur, says, you run it. So within six months, the place went to from weeds and all dilapidated to what it was in 1946. And they still had people waiting outside to get into the place two hours after the race was over and because it, it was such so popular. And uh, so um, I just... I just looked at uh, 
what Wilbur did, promoting it, keeping it going. And I'm actually really good friends with his only son, Wilbur Jr., Bill. And uh, Bill goes, man, you're just like my dad. And I said, I wish I was alive and I worked for your dad because it's not about me. It's for people to understand what I've lived and enjoyed and it's for them to come here, just like a lot of people want to go to the Kentucky Derby once and to experience it. Well, I try to get those people to come back, but it's very rewarding when you're going down the pits and people, you've got 20 people from uh, uh, New Zealand, hey, Scott, yelling at you because you told me to come here. We bought tickets. I mean, just think of the airfare coming to America, all that stuff. And uh, there's so many people I know I have no clue who they are. But uh, they know me because uh, they follow what I basically promote. And uh, like I say, I lay in bed at night and maybe get an hour of sleep, and boom, I wake back up, and it's, okay, what am I going to put on here now? So um, just uh, to get people in the door. You have some wild carb day stories? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've pretty well seen it all, man. Uh just uh you've done it all don't yeah, you say, say yeah you've done it yeah all. absolutely i mean uh, like i said I, I met my sister in the snake pit back in the day and uh i think she was in the back of a van and it was rocking but uh anywho uh no i mean the, the coolest thing is even as a little kid sitting with my mom watching my mom shake her head looking at the freaks and i'm talking about back in the 60s and the 70s and oh, it's yeah. like uh uh, like just a couple years ago, I think it was like 2018, 19, and we had, um, our boys that fuel the cars, they're pretty big boys. They look like farm boys, and there was a guy walking down the pits, and uh, he had arms on him like a like a, a gorilla, man. I mean, he had some big old arms, and he was wearing a sundress and had breast <laughs> and had tats, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh Anyway, I looked over, and I'm like, uh, Ryan, I think you just got replaced. <laughs> and uh, everyone's like, wow. But uh, no, you get to you get to see everything, man. I mean, I've been out there when it was a mud bath in the infield and people burning cars and uh, acting like they're sliding in the first base in the mud face first. And, and uh god i can go on and on man the, the drunks and uh, my brother's friends that were drunk and uh, it's uh, a culture oh absolutely uh you want me to tell you a story about this guy drunk at the end of the day let's do it okay this is absolutely awesome <laughs> uh i uh back in the day when they had the old gold seats in the tower terrace in the pits this was 1985 i worked with scotty brayton and we were fast we we sat in the front row and set the track record that year but at the end of the day, I mean, it was just, there were so many cars, so everything was pretty well drawn out. And we times worked till 2, 3, 4 in the morning and had to be right back at it in a couple hours. And But anyway, what they always did, they shoved all, the, the crew came in that cleaned the stands, and so they'd shove everything to the walkway. And then all the trash went down the walkway, and they had these big roller trash cans that they would take their shovels and scoop everything, the chicken bones and Buttweiser cans and stuff. And anyway, this guy's got his uh, broom, and he's poking. Well, this guy stands up, and uh, he's red as uh, a tomato man from being all burned up, and all he had on was a pair of cutoffs down below. That's it. And he, he pooped himself and peed himself and uh, stood up, and uh, he had chunks falling out of his shorts. Oh, no. And he spread his wings and goes, Mom! Started screaming. 
and uh, he uh, picks up his frisbee and he picks up his football and he walks down to the aisle where they pushed all the trash and he's probably three quarters of the way up in the grandstand tumbles all the way down to the bottom and uh, he's walking away and he's still got that uh, football and that frisbee in his hand walking and he's still got chunks coming out of his shorts and I'm like this needs to be on film for the the family during Thanksgiving night you know show the show them why you love the speedway he's the only guy there <laughs> seven times in his life that's right <laughs> Levi you got any good carb day stories mm-hmm. I only have one good carb day story so in 2018 actually was supposed to meet up with Scott I was late didn't make it to meet him at the at the garage. So me and Brody are walking through and I have he has a little backpack cooler, right? Mm-hmm. So we shove as many Miller lights, shout out Miller Light, in his little fridge backpack as we could. And I'm thinking, I was like, shit, that's probably not a good idea. So I'm gonna put waters in my backpack. You know, <laughs> stay hydrated, sure. make sure, you know, be the hero. I got all these beaded necklaces on. I'm like, hey, you know, might get to see some boobs. It's carb day, it's America, let's go. So I'm walking, drinking all day, drinking all afternoon. About 4.30, I was like, damn, I got to get going. I'm going home. Brody, you want to go home? No. And of course, Brody doesn't drink, right? So Brody's chilling all day. He's had two beers, and he's got a good buzz going. He's <laughs> hanging out. So I was like, all right, man, well, I'm going to Uber. So I start walking. What's it where the terrace is all the way down? What's it called? The first turn there? Yeah. yeah, going into one. Yeah. So I'm walking down there, and all of a sudden, a guy on a golf cart pulls up behind me and I was like god damn this guy's really close right all of a sudden the medical helicopter starts going up a cop comes they close in front of us about 100 feet they close behind me and this guy on the golf cart so now it's me this guy on the golf cart police fire and everything and I hear what the hell Adam what the hell I turn around it's Pat McAfee so now it's just me (laughs) Pat McAfee he's got Zito he's got Sam with him and we're just there so I was like, yeah, you know, better chance. I said, like, hey, Pat, can I get a picture? He's like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, I can't stand up, though. You're going to have to come here to so take a <laughs> selfie with them. But in that moment, it was just me, Pat, this emergency ambulance. And he's like, where are you going? And I was like, well, I'm walking to my Uber. And he's like, dude, I'd give you a ride, but we got full golf cart. But I just thought that was really cool to have that opportunity, just me and him basically right there. Yeah, there's a, there's a video on YouTube where we're knocking knuckles in the pits because he wanted to be the stop stick boy when the car comes in you put a stop stick in right where the driver's supposed to stop and it's just above the right tire and he's all excited because he thinks that uh, jim meyer that uh was the ceo of sirius xm and part car owner of ours and he thought for sure he's going to get him the job and then brett the real stop stick guy's out there he goes it looks like i lost my job and that was the year that uh San- or uh james hinchcliffe didn't make the race and so uh, uh, Pat's driving his golf cart and pulls up next to uh, Jim, or James Hinchcliffe and says, I guess we both missed the race. <laughs> <laughs> Which Hinchcliffe didn't think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, that's just, that's racing, man. Tell the story that we talked about before we came into the Haunted Elvis room here. Tell the story about the uh, Rolex race, the Enduro race. Well, the Rolex race, uh, Meyer Shank Racing, they actually won it 10 years ago, the 50th running. And this year, what was interesting, uh, I felt sorry for the people, but I'm used to weather bad or good or hot or cold. And actually, when it's we in were, Daytona, right? Yeah, in Daytona, it was like 32 degrees. 
and it was 10 degree wind chill at Daytona. We were hoping to have some warmth when we got down there, and I saw people that literally uh, they were uh, in two sleeping bags with their eyes sticking out of the sleeping bag trying to keep warm, and uh, the fans, that is. And one cool thing was I thought down there was uh, the cars that were moving people, the people movers inside, they were Lambo SUVs which cost about $385,000. They had uh, Bentley SUVs. I'm like, where the hell did these cars come from? I mean, this is pretty slick moving people around. But, uh, no, that race, it's funny. I worked there in 2019, and the team uh, goes, hey, do you think you can stay up for 24 hours? And I looked at them. I go, can you? And I ended up having like three hours sleep in three days. And when people try to fall asleep, I was yelling and screaming and – and uh, actually, like two in the morning uh, in the 2019, that race, um, we had uh, 55 mile per hour winds, and it was raining, and uh, it was maybe 42 degrees. With the, on top of that, and so I was tire. I worked the tires. When the tires come off the car, I break them down, uh, give them to the uh, Michelin people, and then we get new tires. And it's, they're twice as heavy as an IndyCar tire. So, but you go through, I think our tire bill for two cars was $85,000 for that race. For two cars? For two cars. Running 24 hours a day, though. Correct, correct. 24 nonstop. I mean, they literally, if you watch the Ford versus Ferrari, it's basically legit. The car comes in, they'll change all four brakes, all brake rotors, everything, calipers. And it's pretty neat to watch those guys do their thing. And uh, they're pretty precise at what they do, switching off the drivers and so forth. But um, that race, they literally, in 2019, they uh, red flagged it at one point. The rain was coming down so hard. Uh, you could look out the pits, and the sand was flowing down from coming out of the ground. When the tires would come off the car, I had to work with the tires because you got to give them clean back to Michelin when they remount. They were literally, it was like taking the tire and throwing it in the sandbox. It was packed with sand. And um, I'd never seen anything like it before, but... Our driver, A.J. Amendinger, was leading the race, and he was cursing up the storm because it's like you need the red flag just because they couldn't see out of the windshields because of the, the, the engine heat because you're in a closed car and the engine's behind you. And, uh, I mean, it was it was very bad, and there was cars going off course, crashing into suspension pieces, everything. And uh, we, le- we were leading the race, and we had to come in because we were going to run out of fuel. Right when we came in, they red flagged it, and I think we ended up finishing fourth. And I wasn't a very happy camper, but I got to tell you guys that during the race, though, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. You're pretty cold, and you got all those sponsors there and all that, and they brought us a five-gallon bucket of chicken water, chicken bouillon. I call it chicken water. <laughs> and uh, kind of like they got hot dog water, and they're floating around hot dogs and burgers and stuff like that. That's my favorite. Put a straw in there. Oh, but but anywho, yeah. it's like all the people gathered around that chicken water and, I, and car owners they couldn't hear me because they got their headsets on and i'm behind and they're watching the monitors i'm like get the hell away from our chicken water that's for the race team and just scared the jeebers out of the sponsors and the hell's wrong with this guy I go i just got out of the homeless shelter and i want my chicken water <laughs> and so uh oh but it's a trip i mean uh uh, this year, we uh, they won the race by uh, three and a half seconds after 24 hours, and uh, just uh, I can't imagine after 24 uh, 24 hours being beat by three and a half seconds at the end. It's got to be harmful for your your mind. To, what can we have done for that three and a half seconds? But 
And guys, it was, it was a cool race. I mean, if you sit in the infield, like a lot of people are in campers, and they watch that race, it's very entertaining because those guys are driving the wheels off those cars in the dark and bouncing off each other. And, I mean, cars wreck, and they fix them, and they bring them back, and, uh, you know, they're sometimes, like a buddy of mine, they uh, had bodywork knocked off twice, and they came back with their car, their Austin Martin, in their class and finished second. So... Uh, you never give up. That's one thing about that race. And it's it's big time for the manufacturers. I don't know if you know this, but um, they used to have the big uh, rotating signs on each end at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And Roger Penske had the one taken down in between turns three and four. And he put a, a small BMW dealership that's in there right now. And uh, if you buy a car, um, you'll be able to use it on the road course to, to test it. But uh, what blew me away is the car dealerships that Roger Penske owns. Uh, it wasn't Ford and it wasn't seven. He owns 47 BMW dealerships worldwide. And so, but he owns everything else too. He's got a shopping mall down in Arizona. You come out and it's like car company after car company. And I was told that he's the only one that can drive a Toyota to a, a Honda meeting. Because it doesn't matter. He's involved with every manufacturer there is. Mercedes, it doesn't matter. He's the pimp of the whole deal. Yes, he is. He's he's the real deal. Can you tell that Andretti story you told when we were out there? Which about one was the wine? that? Oh, about the wine, absolutely. Uh, A.J. Foyt, uh, he uh, actually uh, he won uh, the 24 of Le Mans, uh, his first try. And uh, with Dan Gurney and Ford, the Ford GT, for the Ford family. And uh, anyway, he found out that Mario had his own wine, and uh, he sampled it. He goes, "All oh, that stuff tastes like horse piss." He goes, uh, "I got to come up with my own wine company." So he's he's got his own winery, and uh, actually over in uh, downtown Speedway, uh, he's got uh, the vault, the AJ Foyt vault, and uh, you can go in there and have some snacks and wine. And uh, but anyway, uh, at Mario's uh, birthday, AJ actually gave uh, Mario um, a bottle of wine that has his win from 1967 in the Ford GT on there, because uh, Mario's best finish at uh, uh, Le Mans was uh, second, so he just wanted to, you know, kind of rub it in. Hey, here's a bottle from AJ some, for some real wine, and I can throw another one in there real quick that Robin Miller, a good friend of mine, just passed away this past year. Uh, Robin and Mario were on a flight together, and this lady comes up holding a bottle of wine. Would you boys like uh, some wine? And Robin looked at it and says, uh, no, that stuff tastes like crap. That's not exactly what he said, but I'm, be I'm being clean here. And so <laughs> anyway, Mario's over there snickering, and so... Uh, she goes, no, sir, I'm, our customers really enjoy this wine. No, it tastes like crap. We don't want any of that. And the lady had no idea. Mario was sitting next to him, and it was his wine. But uh, uh, So anyway, that's that's the story. What's your best Robin Miller story? God, there's so many. But, I mean, what uh, a great dude. Th this, is, this is a good one since Top Gun is out. And uh, this two of them, actually. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I have not. It's awesome. But this is two stories I want to do about Robin Miller. He's at Phoenix, uh, the IndyCar track at the time, Oval. And uh, Paul Newman goes, hey, Robin, I want to go to lunch. I'm hungry. So Robin takes him. They go to a local Mexican restaurant. And 
He goes, I forgot my wallet. And Robin, uh, Paul Newman said that. He goes, yeah, sure you did. He goes, no, really. I left it back at the track. Can you buy me lunch? So they get up the, to the counter, and the guy keeps looking at Paul Newman. And uh, Robin's paying the bill. He goes, is that who I think it is? He goes, who do you think it is? Is that Paul Newman? Oh, hell no. He's a painter back at the racetrack because Paul Newman was wearing painter pants and a T-shirt. And... Uh, and he goes, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, all the dude does is paint. So they got in the car, and he's like, what would you say to that guy? You were the painter at the racetrack. <laughs> he said, Paul Newman enjoyed that story so much. It would be the middle of the winter. He'd call him up. I still can't believe he told that guy I was the painter at the racetrack. <laughs> but with the Top Gun going on, this, this is pretty awesome. Robin is at Long Beach, California, the road race. Uh, he's in... Uh, sitting next to Paul Newman, they're both reading the morning paper early, and uh, in walks Tom Cruise. Hey, boys, I'm getting to drive a race car today. And uh, Paul Newman kind of puts his paper down and goes, no, you're not. He goes, uh, you're riding in a, pace, or a race car. He goes, hell, I don't want to ride in a race car. I want to drive it. And uh, so uh, Paul Newman looks over at Robin and goes, boy, tell him the story. He uh, puts down uh, the paper. He goes... You're going to ride with one of the world's greatest race drivers, uh, Mario Andretti, and I would suggest you'd stop eating your breakfast right now. <laughs> and he did. He quit eating breakfast, <laughs> and I thought that was pretty awesome. What's the fastest you've gone? Uh, I would say oh, any, I don't any know. car. Probably, I don't know, guessing maybe 170 miles an hour, just a wild guess. I won't do the ride along at the speedway because i got to be in control of the car. But I I don't know. I'm just wild guess, maybe 170 miles an hour. But honestly, guys, even like on the highway, if you're going 80, 90 miles an hour, I feel like I'm at the airport and on one of those moving sidewalks. It's just <laughs> boring as hell to me. It's just slow motion. And uh, it is for some reason. I don't know why, but that's what it feels like to me, a moving sidewalk, being on the highway. I always ask Antron Brown because he and I are good buddies, top fuel driver. I go... How hard is it to drive your car in the street after you go zero to 100 in less than uh, a second? He goes, well, it's just one of those things. You just do it. And it's like, yeah, that'd drive me nuts. Seems See, like, that, that's so hard for me because I'll play Grand Theft Auto and uh, then get in my truck and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to <laughs> slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Cool. Levi, you got anything you want to contribute to the show today? You go play on your phone or what are we doing? So I texted my, my buddy Aaron Wright. He's like, this dude... His family's always gone like the track, right? From when he's little. Uh huh. I texted and said, "You're on our show today." Right on. His response was, "Old guy for Meyer Shank Racing. Which car does he work on?" The well, pink one, right? Uh, the, the, the pink, yeah, the pink one. Uh, hey, I'm so old I can't tell the numbers on it, but uh, no, actually, uh, during the race itself, it was with Elio Castroneves. Prior to that, I did the preparation, both cars, the tires, whatever the engineer wants. And I knew what to expect on race day, that we had to lay out all uh, 20 sets for both cars. And you basically pull the nitrogen out of the tires. We've used ni nitrogen since the 1920s because it doesn't grow like air. But uh, the engineers think that nitrogen after two days is old. So uh, we got to let it all out and re and repressure every tire. And at 5 o'clock in the morning when we were allowed in gasoline alley, even though I was there at 1.30, uh, I was routine. Throw these things down on the ground and just start going to it. 
It's crazy because I, I got. I don't know if it was on Instagram or Facebook. I get on there. It's really early in the morning. I'm about to go to sleep from having a went to a party, hang out and everything. And I see that you posted something. I was like, "What the hell's he doing?" <laughs> I was like, "Damn, he's up, and I'm getting ready to go to bed." Yeah, but, I was trying to see how good security was. <laughs> he goes snuck in. But uh, matter of fact, when I got in the yellow shirt out front, I go, "Dude, you got chicken in between your teeth." <laughs> And he had two teeths, so he had chicken in between it. So I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Tell the guy behind me turn off his windshield wipers. There was nobody behind me. <laughs> I'm just, like, blown away, like, sitting here listening to everything. Pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah. You all see me when I had some caffeine in me. <laughs> I texted Levi earlier, and I was like, hey, man, I got a guest for the show. And he's like, who is it? I was like, my buddy Scott. And he said, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> some super freak. So I'm just some guy. Yeah. Basketball all my life. That's all I grew up on. And then I don't know. Today you made me a fan. Like I want to look into racing all day long now. There, the man that, um, the uncle of the man that was the engineer that just won the 500. He he could care less about motorcycle racing. I go, man, you got to come out to the speedway and watch them when they did the uh, the racing out at IMS with on the bikes i go these guys are nuts they're 165 miles an hour they got the wheel up and they're completely turned around looking behind them and uh i took him to that spot on holman boulevard he goes man i'm hooked i'm coming back i go told you these guys are nuts and i always said for the brickyard they needed to put those cars on the road course and put snow plows on the front and just let them rock you know push everybody out of the way that are nuts and just Make it entertainment. Mm. Snowplow on the, on the front would make, be awesome, man. You don't do anything with the Brickyard, do you? No. Uh, I actually, uh, the first year I was thinking about it, but no, I never never really did. But I do work with the SVRA, which is Father's Day weekend this year, and it's very cool. Um, uh, they have every walks of life of a race car from the beginning up to the 90s. So if you go out there, like the, there's some rich folks that will have Indy cars that ran anywhere from the teens to the 90s, and they'll actually be running those out there. And uh, they usually bring Formula One cars, and just to hear them scream, running 19,000 RPM, echoing off the grandstands, uh, it's it's very interesting. But um, you name it, guys, uh, Can-Am, Trans-Am, uh, Cup cars, everything runs. And the SVRA, it's a Sports Car Vintage Racing uh, Association. Tony Perella was the, um, uh, he ran two telecommunication companies and he had all this fat bank and didn't know what to do with it. So he got out of the phone business and went into the, buying the SVRA. And every time they send me a message, uh, they uh, have a new sponsor, uh, Haggerty or a wax company or whatever. And But it's very cool because you have all access except the pits, and you really don't need to be in the pits because all the work's done in the infield or the Formula One garages or the gasoline alley. And I, the last race they had here pre-pandemia, they had like 600 cars. And before that, they had like 1,000 cars of all different kinds. And, I mean, there's some spectacular cars that people only saw on TV or in books and uh, kids are free 15 and under and you can actually physically go right up to the car i tell people that hey put your kid in that car and take a picture the car owner would love to have you take your pictures because you'll just never experience this in life and then when they get old they're like man uh, i was in a car out there um, 
that actually ran uh, the Vanderbilt Cup in 1909 and 1910, uh, the Black Beast, and it won. This was up in New York, came to Indianapolis and ran the very first Indianapolis 500, and uh, the engine ended up breaking during the first 500, but the, the guys that own it now had restored it, and I'm in this car, and it's... Uh, just to think that you're in a car that ran the very first Indy 500 is pretty pretty awesome. But the, those guys that own it, like I said, I mean, if your kids want a picture, I said, put your kid in there, take a picture, because this is history. These, I mean, this is autom automobile history. And so, uh, anyway, uh, what else you want to know? When you walked in, the very first thing, I was like, I got one for him. I know he'll enjoy this. How's he going to be like, what are you trying to be, Italian? Talked about your rings, and then I was like, well, damn. Then he started talking about how many championship rings he had, and I was like, oh, probably should stay away from that one. <laughs> I don't have any championship rings. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to catch up with Tom Brady, but uh, the thing is, uh, Roger Penske's won Indy 18 times, and he's got the mini Borg Warner trophies. Those are $48,000 a piece, and he's got 18 of those, but that's like you and I going to the local white castle and buying a pop you know half a million dollars in trophies just that trophy but uh yeah uh, speaking of tom brady guys i gotta tell you this that uh, uh elio castroneves was on roger penske's team and then he was let go and you know it's a business decision uh roger gets younger kids to drive less money elio had won the 503 times so they're up in the higher money slot well anyway when elio's in victory lane roger penske the owner now of the speedway uh gives him a hug congratulates him he goes, this was last year this right? was last year he goes turn around and uh the governor's here make sure you say hello to the governor he turns around and i'm pointing at him and i said real loud you are now uh tom brady or you are now uh peyton manning and tom brady lost your job went to another team and won he goes i am so the next microphone in his face i'm tom brady i'm phil mickelson because he had just won the old guy playing golf and uh he goes the old guy's ruled today and it's like see that's me i got one step ahead you got to create uh poo poo stir the poo poo <laughs> and that, that that's me and so there's a lot of other stories like that i've done so it's okay you got anything else all right so NBA, if they championship team wins, everyone gets a ring. How is that for like racing? How's that uh, everyone on the team gets one also. Really? Yeah, they That's sure awesome. do. And uh, the thing, um, when we won, we got How the much are those rings? flag rings. Yeah, on eBay. It's not a Super Bowl ring, you know what I mean? Right, but they they actually do have the super like Super Bowl ring, mm -hmm. and uh, for some reason, Elio wanted to be the only one to have the Super Bowl ring. They put on his finger because it's the size of my watch. But on uh, Ray Hall, uh, Ray Hall, Lannick, and Letterman, uh, their team, uh, when they won with uh, Takuma Sato, they gave everyone the big, big bling ring. Everyone got one. And then Sato. Like the bought, gold nugget rings? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. And then, then Sato bought them the flag ring. But I was talking to uh, the man that uh, from, uh, let me, Motley Crue, uh, uh, Vince Neal. And I looked at his hand, and he had three Indy 500 rings. Where the hell did you get those? He said, eBay. He said, guys that were getting divorced. And the sad thing is, that's where you find those, just like uh, Gary Brackett for the Colts. Oh, yeah. Selling all his Super Bowl stuff, and that's sad. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. There is no way you give that stuff away. Sell it. I don't care how much money you need. It's sad, but those bastards one time at Stacked Pickle, they charged me for two appetizers, and the lady would not take it off. Wow. So I don't feel bad for them. I understand. I understand you should have <laughs> taken the ketchup home. A ketchup home. So I should have. You know, I always told everyone back in the day before pre-pandemia, you could always eat for free. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, they had the onions in the little jar there that you could take the spoon and put your onions on your burger or your hot dog. I used to sit underneath the ketchup and the mustard and the relish and just pump that in my mouth i mean that's fresh food right there and healthy so uh, no one would ever use those ones that i just got through using but what the hell you know yeah. <laughs> cool man well that's the show i'm so glad we reconnected and he came on the show i want to have you on again for sure well i'm glad you guys did because i sure enjoy the money i get paid it was a fifteen thousand dollars for a half hour that's yeah. pretty cool yeah, keep pumping Cash. That out that's right sure. absolutely <laughs> Next time we need you to bring uh, Takuma Sato on. Hi. Hang out. And Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him to listen to this. He'll appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. I will. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's the show for the day, guys. We appreciate you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We're going to start a Facebook page coming up here soon. You'll be looking for that. We love you guys. Thanks. Leave it. See you. Peace out. Showing up. Shawty thought I was the postman.